Got time for a quick story. Okay, how many times have you heard a song? It seems really bouncy, really fun. And then you pay attention to the lyrics a little closer and you go, oh, there's a bit of a deeper message involved with this. It's that musical hook that got you in. And now that you pay attention to what's being sung, you go, oh, and maybe you learn something from that song that otherwise you may not have pondered had the music been darker or flat or whatever. It's a classic musical technique. I would argue it's a clever musical technique. Brian Ray is a heck of a musician. He's been involved in the music scene going going back decades. Spent many years working with Etta James. And for the past 18 years has been working with Paul McCartney. He's the blonde on stage with uh, playing the guitar with Paul McCartney when you see him live. And he's been in the studio with Paul McCartney as well, among other artists. Very talented. He's got a new song out. I should really say it's a new single out because there's, well, there's an A-side and there's a B-side. New from Brian Ray as of November 13th on Wicked Cool Records is a song, Got a New Thing. B-side is Whiskey Train, cover of the Procol Harum tune. There's a music video out for Got a New Thing as well. And in this edition of Got Time for a Quick Story, we're talking to Brian Ray about the new content, the new material. So let's start with the new song, Got a New Thing, and the subject of the lyrics in particular. How did you ease into the topic, which is, I mean, it's a fairly heavy topic, and then I didn't even realize it until I was listening to some of the other interviews you've been doing over the past few weeks, and it suddenly dawned on me, oh my gosh, this is about victims of like sexual abuse, sexual assault, but it's such an up-tempo, bouncy, catchy song. How did you ease that into something so ebullient? Well, ebullient, very good. Points for a big word. (laughs) Ebullient, very nice. It's right up there with scintillating. (laughs) Nice Um, word, too. Well, yeah, that's a good one, but it's not as it's it's overused compared to ebullient. Yes, but anyway, true. well, thanks, thanks for the, the question. Um, yeah, you know, uh, so that's not where it started. The song started with the riff mm-hmm. and the beat and the mood and the chords and and the verse kind of vibe and the verse chords, and then it led into a chorus that I rewrote to be sort of more simple the way it is now. Um, and it, and it was a breakup song and a bye-bye song, which I like, which has a great history in rock and roll for forever Mm -hmm. breakup songs, you know? And then I thought, well, that's cool. But then I saw this, uh, this documentary on this weird cult. And I thought there's so many people, mainly women, but men as well, who are victims of coercion because they bought into some ridiculous cult where they began to believe whatever the cult leader was telling them. And some of this abuse, of course, was sexual in nature. Um, And I thought, well, okay, that's not very rock and roll, but surviving and getting revenge is very rock and roll. Mm -hmm. So when in my song, the survivor, uh, a woman in this case, of course, would say, I got a new thing now, 
you know, it's because she's got a new life after seeing this jerk get hauled away in handcuffs. And it's a beautiful thing. It, it it is. I mean, it it it's obviously it's a it's a joyous feeling that that how do how do I phrase revenge? But revenge, where you know something justifiable has happened. It I, mean, I don't know if Schadenfreude yeah. is the right term or what it is, but it's something like that. Another good word, Schadenfreude. Very nice. Yes. Um, well, I think that uh, you know. I guess it is human nature to want fairness. And when you believe that somebody at the hands of a maniac that's into gaining more power and money for himself is taking other people down and using them, then it's kind of fun to watch that person get hauled away in handcuffs Mm -hmm. and get justice. Oh, yeah. Um, your sense of melody in this is, is really strong. As I was saying, the, the song has kind of gotten stuck in my head over just a little bit of time. When As soon as I hear it, it, I, it feels really familiar for a song that's only been out for a, a matter of less than a month, really. Honestly, the first thing I thought of when I heard the song and I got the email, I'm listening through this, I thought this would fit really well in one of the recent Paul McCartney albums over the past, I mean, maybe like Egypt Station or maybe it's a new or, you know, one of those. But it felt like a natural in that regard. And what, well, I'm thinking, well, of course, duh. I mean, he's played with Paul McCartney, obviously. So th- th- that would seem to make sense. But do you think any of your writing or how much of your writing comes from working with him in the McCartney's sense of melody? How much is that kind of osmosis goes into your writing yeah great question i mean look i mean we're all you know we've all been dining on the melodies the the presentation the production the arrangements and the records of the beatles for for six decades now so um None of us are getting out of this thing if we write music or play music without some of that influence. If if you don't have that influence somewhere in you, then you're doing it wrong. And I probably can't relate to you. It just is. It's it's in it's a part of our DNA now. Um, And if you think that it sounded like, you know, that you could hear influences, I'm flattered because, you know, you can't hide from your roots, you know. So my roots are in black music and the music that predated rock and roll, then rock and roll, then folk, then Motown, then the Beatles, and some surf thrown in there too. Right. So, I mean, you're just a sum part of your roots, man, and what can I say, you know? Right now, I sort of tend to <clears throat> concentrate more on garage rock mm-hmm. as it is because, you know, this wonderful guy, Stephen Van Zant, mm-hmm. who you all know is Little Stevie. Mm-hmm. Little Stephen assigned me to his wonderful record label, Wicked Cool Records. And um, and he also owns a radio station. And that's at Sirius. And that, that's the underground garage. And they kind of focus on garage rock, early rock and roll, rock and roll, and new artists that sound a bit like any of those. So mm-hmm. somehow he was nice enough and generous enough to, you know, invite me in to be a part of that. So I write to that sort of part of me. What do you find in Garage Rock that has that 
has that certain sense of, I don't know, uh, uh, that certain catchiness, that certain flow. I keep coming back to melody, but that's something that you'll hear a lot in that in in that particular genre what what what's appealing to you right now and over recent time as you kind of delved more into that genre well i mean there's so many modern bands that that owe a lot to garage rock there's like prima donna and there's the dolly rots and there's the weaklings and the empty hearts there's so many great artists uh out there i i could go on for a long time on that and i think that what what is charming about it is garage rock really is to me the american iteration of the blues of the british invasion <laughs> which was their iteration of our rock and roll and rhythm and blues and blues mm-hmm. so it's sort of you know it's the same stuff you know two cousins down the line right, you know? right. And it's there's a charm about it a garage rock typically they didn't have a lot of budget you know, you're talking about bands like the Sonics with Got Love, Will Travel. Mm-hmm. I mean, Have Love, Will Travel, sorry. And um, and bands like that. And then you had bands like the Knickerbockers and Paul Revere and the Raiders who had more of a budget. But it started out as kind of low budget American response to the British invasion. And I love it. It's, it's, it's charming. It's not very polished. And I like that about it. It's raw and it's renegade and it's kind of mean. Some of the lyrics get a little silly. It's some of it's pretty misogynist, but you know, th- there's a charm in that too. It's just what the time was about back then, you know, get your woman and, you know, I'm going to get mine. <laughs> she ain't going to fool me. <laughs> right, yeah. But you know, it's all, it's just great fodder. And um, I, I, I'm always just charmed by that era. Well, it's kind of a fascinating turnabout then lyrically that you have a song that follows that era, that genre, and considering what you what you referenced in some of the lyrics that it actually kind of turns it on its head if if one's really paying attention to go, well, okay, you don't always have to go that route from a lyrical perspective. You can turn it back around. It's not misogynistic. It's the other way around. It's kind of setting the record straight. Exactly. Well done. You've nailed it better than any interview I've had so far, and I've had great interviews. It's precisely it. Because in, in you know, music, uh, in, in popular music, you have about three and a half minutes to to sell your movie. You know, this is your movie, but it's only three and a half minutes long, and it's only for your ears, unless, of course, you have a video, which we also do. But... Um, so you think, what am I going to do with this three and a half minutes? Am I going to do the same thing that everyone's done? Is it just like a, I broke up with you and you're going to get yours and I'm going to sail on and you blew it? Is it that? Because that that's fun. I can do that. I probably have done that. <laughs> but it would be even cooler if it had a second meaning underneath yeah. or even a third meeting about cults right you uh, mentioned the music video for that song there's a lot of blues and oranges flying across and the lyrics are going across i've been fascinated watching music videos being shot or being that have come out over the past few months knowing that okay this video was clearly shot post march post pandemic you can tell the difference between pre ones where they're still like hey party up and then afterwards and now it's like individual people shoot their videos at home how did you put this one together with 
Scott and Abe. And how how do you do that? Were you guys on site? Is that still separate shot? How did you do that? Yeah, good question. Um, I'm not sure how we did that, but I know, <laughs> uh, I know how I did it. Uh, I don't know how my friend Fritz did it, who's in uh, the Netherlands, who did this with me, for <laughs> me. Um, and basically, he did my last video for I Ain't Superstitious, also on Wicked Cool Records, which is my cover of that great old Willie Dixon blues song, mm -hmm. but kind of more of the Jeff Beck British Invasion version of Willie's song. Mm -hmm. And he did this really clever video. I said, I want something dark, something sort of like Tim Burton-esque lyric video. And he went hog wild. It's just so cool looking. And then, so he's, you know, he offered, you want to do this again? And I said, sure. So when it came time to, release a new single I go well you know I'm just now finishing the mix should we get started and he goes how about this for an idea what if we kind of harken back to the old iPod commercials from the early 2000s and mm -hmm. remember when people are dancing in front of a green screen and it's all these vibrant colors they're in silhouette but you see the wire that's why I have an iPod and I'm holding an iPod uh. it's all harkening back to that but then he went wild with it and went somewhere else that explains i noticed the ipod and i'm thinking well that's an interesting prop in there that all makes sense and it's fascinating we've come now 13 14 15 16 years since that that there's actually a retro element to that i'm, I'm it still seems like not that long ago that there was was what was a uh, dance tonight was that in uh, i'm trying to think of which Paul McCartney's yeah, song was in it. Right. Dance Tonight was used in an iPod commercial. I, I think Dance Tonight, yeah. I think so. It was around 07 because I remember there was a U2 song in one of them, and it was that same thing, but that was the that was the the vibe that was being done. And now, my gosh, that's a decade and a half ago. It's just about old enough for nostalgia now. I never thought it was something you could do that way, and thanks for pointing that out. That totally makes <laughs> sense now. Yeah, it's a very fun video. I really had a great time making it. But to answer your question, so I moved some furniture here at home, and I had a blank wall behind me, took down the paintings, and, and I had my son James uh, videotape me using my iPhone on a stool propped up against a book in 4K up against this wall where then I sent that footage. I got James to do it too, so I shot the video uh, videos of him. We sent that off to Fritz, and then I asked Abe and, um, Abe and Scott if they would do the same. They did theirs at home. I never looked at their footage. <laughs> I never saw it. It passed through me. I sent it to Fritz, but I never got into it. I wanted to kind of be surprised at the end to see what Fritz came up with. And so Fritz put it all together. He did all of the imaging and the, the AI. He had to employ AI to do this. And uh, then he did all the graphic stuff. And, you know, he's a whiz. He's an amazing guy. And he does videos for corporations over there and and uh, stuff like that. You know, and he just nailed it. It was great. So that's how we did it. That's cool. Um, I, I, speaking of the colors and such, orange vinyl. Why orange for a vinyl special version of this well, song? Well, if, if you look through the video and if you look at the single... If you look through the lyrics, I'm sorry, or you look through the sing at the single, you'll see that I talk about orange. Mm. In America, our jumpsuits are usually orange in prison. Yes. So orange jumpsuit. And I reference orange, you look good in orange, an yeah. orange jumpsuit, 
you know, you and Orange go together like Elvis and Kung Fu. That's right. So, and the, and then the, the cover looks a bit like this, and you can see the orange there. Mm-hmm. And then the, the vinyl, I'm not doing an ad. I'm just showing you. <laughs> and now on Wicked Cool Records, come <laughs> and get it, your brand new copy. And the vinyl looks like this, uh-huh. transparent orange. Ooh. Nice. Kind of looks good with that sort of brownish tan background. It does. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Just sort of keeping a theme going, man. It's in the lyrics, and uh, you know, you try and just kind of go with the flow. Um, so you've got these two songs out, "Whiskey Train." Of course, that's the that's the the cover of the of the Procol Harum song. You were, you've been talking a lot about cowbell uh, in in the in the in the other interviews, in particular. But I mean, honestly, when I listen to the two songs, I mean, they're obviously you you made some alterations and 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 such. But it it still feels fairly hewn towards the original. This is, I mean, you didn't do like a radical reinvention. Now, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a song you did much back in the day. Correct? Am I right on that? I used to, yeah, you're right. You've done your homework. I, I uh, used to play Whiskey Train in my high school band when right. I was like 17 years old with my buddies. And we would play kegger parties, you know. And, um, you know, they're my loaded high school friends out there rocking out to whiskey train and i always just thought it was a really cool catchy kind of brutal tough guitar riff and so it's all built around that mm-hmm. and that was a song written by robin trower who of course was the guitar player for pro call harem during all of their heyday and um it was written uh, the lyric was written by their lyricist keith reed well i was approached by a woman i know named carla olson to do uh, a, a duet for an album that had a train theme. And she suggested a couple titles to me, all songs that I'd heard of, a couple I hadn't. And, um, and, then, she, and then I said, well, that would be really cool, but what about this one, Whiskey Train? She goes, oh, I don't know it. And I sent her it, and she goes, oh, that rocks. And I said, well, what do you think? Would you like to do that one? And she goes, yeah. And I said, okay, then I'm going to do it a rough, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a recording at home and you can come over and sing. And that's what I did. I kind of rearranged it a little bit. I added some background vocal hooks, a little guitar hook. I did sort of what you would call um, a refrain, a musical mm-hmm. refrain. And, ah, whiskey train. Mm-hmm. So I just added that in there with these little guitar parts and stuff. I, I just thought it needed one more little element like that kind of mysterious vibe. Anyway, there's a lot of cowbell on there. I mean, there's probably more cowbell than even Christopher Walken needs, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> you would even say, okay, that's too much cowbell, I think he would say. <laughs> is, I mean, is there another cover you want to do at some point? I know you're releasing like a couple songs here, a couple songs there. You know, kind of the old school, here's a, here's a vinyl 45, is the A side, B side. Is there another cover you kind of got in the back of your mind you're thinking of doing at some point? Um, actually, I'm thinking of doing a cover with uh, one of the DJs from the Underground Garage, a guy named Mighty Manfred. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about doing uh, the Righteous Brothers track, Little Latin Loopy Lou. Mm. Wow. You remember that one? I don't a, actually know. It was, it was a big hit. It was their other big hit. I should know that. And it's a little shame that I don't, to be perfectly honest. I'm going to have to give that a listen. 
It's a very simple tune, but it's very fun. Okay, cool. Well, I got that to look forward to. I, what as the as the pandemic has gone on, obviously you got a lot of people that that have been coming up with other new tunes. I mean, we could do a whole thing about what what Paul McCartney's doing with McCartney Three in in a little over two weeks. And yeah, I'm pretty much counting on the days myself until that that comes out. I'm really fascinated, as I'm sure you are, to yeah. hear what he's come up with here. Absolutely. That's a that is essentially from what I understand is kind of a pandemic album. Taylor Swift did the same yeah. thing. A lot of artists have been doing that. Have you found yourself doing some extra writing, some ideas, some riffs because of the pandemic and either isolation or the climate of society, whatever has that happened to you? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, so all of the stuff that we're talking about now, my new single and a song that I'm doing right now uh, that I'm submitting for uh, use in a, a podcast theme, uh, an upcad, uh, upcoming podcast on Bonnie and Clyde, all stuff during lockdown. And, and it's been a very fertile time to come up with ideas and lay them down. And as you see behind me, I have a home studio where I can record and uh, I have an engineer who comes over here and we can safely distance and work together on our ideas. Cool. Um, I'm going to ask you a question about about parts and Paul McCartney parts in particular. Since you play, what, what 60%? Uh, is, that, is that the percentage I've heard live? About 60% of the bass parts live? Yeah, yeah, about, that's about really that good. Much? About 60% of the uh, bass playing live I do. That's just because, well, Paul plays everything. right. Uh, and uh, Paul tends to play live whatever instrument it was that he wrote the song on. Mm. And, you know, not a lot of songs are written on bass. It happens, but uh, I've even written a song on bass for my first album. But um, I think that, um, but that's not a hard and fast rule. That's just sort of a general thing. So, since he plays guitar, electric guitar, piano, organ, he plays all these instruments, mandolin. Anytime he's playing anything but bass, he needs a bass player. So that ends up being around 50, 60% of the time. So yeah. of all the songs that you have played at, at any point since you started working in, in the band, what do you find is either, and this could be multiple answers, the most complex and or the most interesting part to play and may i mean i, I could emphasize bass because he's such a good bass player but it could also yeah. be it on any other instrument as well that you find okay trying to learn what he did you there's a whole lot to work out what which songs really stand out to you oh uh, three come to mind right away um and you know First of all, I mean, I'm a guitar player who plays bass, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a bass player who plays guitar. Right. So the guitar uh, stuff doesn't feel very challenging in, in the in McCartney's set list. That's just sort of automatic and you, you just come to it because I've been playing since I was eight, you know, mm -hmm. um, and now I'm 29. No, um, <laughs> and so with bass, uh, that is something that I had to sort of earn and work on to be the right guy for Paul, because obviously Paul McCartney is the best bass player in popular music, in my opinion, and in many people's opinion, the most important bass player, because not only does he have a great 
time and groove uh, aspect, he he is known for his melody on bass mm-hmm. and how it is uh, serves as counterpoint to his melodies, his vocal melodies. Right. So you know it's all very interactive with the song and the melody, what his bass is doing. So it's almost like you, you're a student of it. You know, I, it's like I got to know this by uh, by trying it and by learning songs and you go, wow, there's a, there's a madness to his method, you know, Mm -hmm. and you start to kind of, kind of get a little view into how he does it. You can never be Paul, but you can kind of get a little bit of an insight into how he comes up with this stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, the three songs would be uh, Lovely Rita, Mm -hmm. which has a very, very active bass part, which never stops. Do, 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 you know, it just keeps going like that. And, um, and uh, so that was a big one. And that was done as for Paul as an overdub. And the reason it could be so complicated is he'd, he'd written it on piano. Mm. And so he's playing it on piano for the, for the record. Um, and uh, so the, the bass was an overdub. He right. did that later when it was just he and, and his engineer there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so the next one after that would be... Um, uh another day mm. that that a great great solo paul song unbelievable and a very active bass part again that's an overdub so he got very creative you know those late night bass parts you know he just and um and then also getting better from the beatles that was a really fun one so oh yeah those three are are so fun a bit challenging and exciting parts really I, cool i'm I I perk up that you mentioned two of the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band's songs as as those three because just for the fun of it and I, I can barely play bass I mean I I have like a bass at home and I've got like a very very cheap Hofner because I'm like hey I found one here in Western Wisconsin like cool just pick that up but a few years ago when it's the 50th anniversary I thought you know what I'm gonna try to play the bass lines from Sgt. Pepper. Knowing that, okay, this would be a bit challenging. Oh my gosh, I had no idea what I was in for. And I'm, I've, I've got like Spotify on my phone and I'm rewinding over and over and trying to pick these parts out. And you mentioned a couple of those. That is really tough stuff. Like it's, it, it really gets your brain going. But my gosh, it gave me such an appreciation for his, for his bass playing. There's stuff I could barely work out. It's so much going on there, and especially those two with everything happening and going up and down and all the walking bases. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's insane bass playing. It's truly insane in that he's written about that. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, th- those parts were all done late at night after the other three fabs had gone home. Right. So it was just he and Jeff, the um, – the engineer working together, just the two of them. Mm-hmm. And he would spend hours getting just right attack, just the right notes and just keep messing with it until it was what he wanted. And he writes about that and, it, and it's well known. Yeah. How has, since again, you being a guitarist who plays bass over the last 18 years, just on your own as a musician for your own, your own abilities and such, how have you developed maybe on that instrument or any instrument since you essentially had to take on such a high profile gig 
I shouldn't say had to. I mean, you you got the gig. But when, since taking on that gig, how has your musicianship evolved over those last 18 years, just on your own in any part of your life? Well, I mean, you know, Paul has a, a way of pulling out the best in everybody, you know, whether you're in the sound crew and uh, on the lighting team or the video family, you know, it's... Um, it's a trickle down thing. And, and he's the, you know, the eye at the top of the pyramid, you know, and everything else flows down from that. And so he just makes you better at whatever you do. I would say um, singing was probably uh, uh, an area of what we each bring that was improved quite a lot, just because of the amount of singing that we had to do and the amount of parts that we had to learn uh, and the listening that's required to pull these parts off and do it well, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, So we all improved quite a bit in that way. And also just as we were saying, the bass playing, I mean, it was just a true gift and an apprenticeship, you know, to be able to learn these killer parts one after another, you know, Um, and uh, to have his sort of approval Pretty much, you know, he's asked me to change a few things, but he's, uh, you know, he's been on board. And that's very, that's enough for me. You know, he doesn't have to go out of his way to say something wild about my bass playing. I'm not expecting that. But just that it's good enough for him and he doesn't need to say much is enough for me. It's kind of a master class of sorts. Um, Yeah. This this has been a, a great chat with you, Brian. Brian Ray, the new song has got a new thing. The other new song, it's an old song, but it's a new version of a, of a classic song, Whiskey Train. It's out now on Wicked Cool Records. Buy it, stream it, watch the video, all of that. The musicianship comes through. That's decades worth of musicianship, and it, it's, it, it really comes across, and it sounds great. Brian, thanks for taking some time to chat with us today and all the best going forward and looking forward to more from you down the road. Oh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Drop by my website if you get a chance to. It's just myname.com. It's pretty easy. Sounds good. Take care, Brian, and we'll talk to you later. All right, you too. Oh, that was fun. (laughs) To be honest, getting to talk to somebody who regularly plays with Paul McCartney, it's a moment you got to kind of say... Wow, I am I am really honored, blessed to get a chance to do something like that with someone as talented as Brian Ray as, as well. You, you, look up his history. He has played again, he's played with Etta James for a long time. Of course, Paul McCartney. He's done a lot of work throughout his career. He's got the chops. You can learn more about him at BrianRay.com. As he was mentioning, name.com, BrianRay.com. BrianRay.com. It's on social media. As well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can find them all over the place. Got a New Thing is the single, backed with uh, backed with Whiskey Train from Procol Harum. Give it a listen. It's on Wicked Cool Records. That's the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing the facilities uh, to do a lot of these interviews, to do all these interviews. And also, uh, you can... Listen to and or watch some of these interviews at greatesthits981.com. It's the website of the station. Uh, look for interviews at the top of the page. Look for blog. Look for interviews. You can um, you can listen to or watch, as I said. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where you can listen to or watch some of these interviews. This one we did over Zoom, so you can actually watch the interview with Brian Ray. And also got other interviews with uh, other 
musicians and other celebrities in, in general. All at GreatestHits981.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast, the audio version of this podcast, in a lot of the usual locations, like via your Apple or Android device. You can find it on Spotify, TuneIn, Pandora. There's a whole lot of locations. You can find Got Time for a Quick Story with a question mark. Subscribe so you get new episodes as they come out. And they'll come out in all sorts of different time frames. Sometimes it'll be a few weeks before you get a good interview that comes around. You want to do it. And then sometimes you'll find there are interviews within days. So you never know how quickly you'll get interviews popping up new episodes. And also rate this. The higher you rate it, the more the word spreads around. Got time for a quick story. I'm Luke Anthony.